Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Revealed. This is part 23, chapter 14, actually part 3 of that. And then we'll get into chapter 15. I'm going to do some review and some introduction. Let me say a prayer. We'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts tonight. Challenge us, Lord. Uh, reveal things to us. Help us as we go through these chapters. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. All right. So, while I'm starting this review, somebody look up for me. We'll do this the old-fashioned way. How about that? Somebody look up 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, somebody that is not going to be afraid to read out loud, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and then somebody look up, who's got that, who's going to look up 2 Corinthians 5.10, all right, and then Romans 14.12, who's going to look that up, Romans 14.12, all right, and then Matthew 12.36, Matthew 12.36. Ron. Okay, cool. So, chapter 14 is a table of contents for the rest of the book of Revelation, the next few chapters that are coming up. And we've looked at the beast, the false prophet, the mark of the beast. And in verse 11 of 14, we saw that those who worship the beast and his image and who take the mark of the beast would suffer forever and ever. We talked about that for a while. I, I want to pick up there. We'll recap some and we'll move forward as well. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And their works follow them. Now there is a stout contrast for the wicked from verse 11 who are suffering forever and ever in continual torment and these saints who are to rest forever and ever in continual bliss. You can see that contrast right there. Torment forever and ever or bliss forever and ever. And this rest comes to those who, it says, patiently endured and remain faithful to God and His Word. They remained faithful. Think about this, and I mentioned this, but this is fascinating to me. These tribulation saints will be reading these words, these very words, during the tribulation. Imagine the courage and the comfort they will get from this passage. There's rest promised. Their their labors and works are remembered in heaven. The end of verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, capital S, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Everybody say follow them. Their works follow them. In other words, Their efforts to push the kingdom of God forward in the earth, their their efforts to remain faithful to Jesus and His Word 
are noticed and recorded in heaven. That they're, they're, when they get to heaven, there's a record of everything they did. And I might add, if that's the case for them, it's really the case for all of us, right? What we do for the Lord is recorded in heaven. I love this. Guzik says, this gives dignity and significance to all, <coughs> to all our work here below. Paul would write, whatever you do in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord, right? Do it as unto the Lord. Everything we do, do in the name of the Lord. In other words, looking towards heaven, looking beyond the, the veil of the temporal and understanding, I'm serving God. I'm going to remain faithful on this job, in this marriage, in this relationship with my boss, with my children. I'm going to try to honor God, glorify God somehow, some way. And all of that goes with us to heaven. You think, I'm just going to be on my best behavior so I can get ahead here. You know, maybe God will bless me down here. It's not just down here. There's blessings in heaven as well. There are rewards. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Read that out loud. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Read, uh, read this. You don't have to stand, but just read that out loud. Notice that. Things done in his body, right? Things done in his... So we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account, whether good or bad. What did you do? Now, <clears throat> some of the things we're going to discuss tonight are sobering things, right? I don't want to stand before the Lord and give an account for... It says whether they be good or whether they were evil. I don't want to give an account for the evil things that I did. I don't. Now, here's the deal. I got the blood of Jesus that covers me. But then what, what am I doing with my time, my talent, my treasure, my life? One day I'll stand before the Lord. Paul's writing to a church. We're all going to stand before the Lord. He's going to say, what would you do with this? What would you do with that? Why did you do this? Like there's going to be this accounting, right? This reckoning. Well, it's gotten quiet. Let's just get it even quieter. Uh, Romans 14, 12. Who has that? Everyone will give an account of himself. Of himself. To... to Pastor, this says to God, right? To your spouse, this says to God. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said, all things are, I think it was at Hebrews, uh, everything's naked before him. Like there's no, you can't cover anything up. He's, he's all seeing, he knows everything. We're going to give an account before the Lord. Uh, Matthew 12, 36, Ron, you had that one, right? Even every word that we speak will give an account. You just think, I remember one time I was cussing and fussing under my breath. Nobody was around. I got in this habit 
uh, when we lived in Maryland. I'm just, I'm just going to town. Man, somebody do me wrong. Valerie do me wrong. Somebody treat me wrong. And I just, there, there I'd go. Below my breath. Nobody could hear me. Just me. And I'm just blowing off steam. But I tell you what. And I'm just going to town all by myself. I'm thinking, nobody knows. And one day in my prayer time, the Lord got a hold of me. He said, all that private cursing you're doing, I hear it. And it's affecting your spirit, Donovan. Got a hold of me. I stood uh, in account before the Lord before I got to heaven. But one day we're going to give an account to the Lord face to face. Just, just, just the Lord and you. And so that's for us. I think that's something we can gain from this. So here's the whole bottom line like we looked at last time. Man, fear God. Give Him the glory. Live for Him. Live in such a way that you know... I, listen, I'm not answering to you. I'm answering to him. So I'm going to do the right thing while I got a chance. I don't want to blow this opportunity when I get on the other side. I'm going to be, you know, think about that. I, I've watched people, <coughs> a couple things come to mind. People just living their lives, right? We, we're all the same. We're just living our lives. We're just doing our thing, living carelessly. And, and all of a sudden, we have some kind of crisis blow up in our life. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a finances issue. Maybe it's a loved one issue. And, and listen, we can get sobered up real quick, can't we? Oh, Jesus. I'm fasting this week, Lord, you know. I, I'm, I'm praying this week, Lord. And we get all serious. We, we dial it back. We get a hold of the flesh. We hone in on the things of God. I'm going to get in my word, Lord. I'm, I'm going to start. I'm not... Because we, we know we've got a need that needs to be supplied. And so we, we get serious. Do you all know what I'm talking about? I'm not the only one that does this, right? So you get real serious real quick. There are other times when uh, uh, El Chapo, right? Was that his name that just got convicted today? The, the drug guy, big old guy just going to jail. The maximum conf- solitary confinement, supermax prison in Colorado for the rest of his life. Dude's living footloose and fancy free, killing people, going crazy, making it rain, you know, billions of dollars, killing people with drugs and stuff. And today he's crying, right? Oh, I got busted. He got all serious, got a lawyer, technicalities. You can't do this to me. Like he's getting all legalistic, and they convicted him anyway. He's going to jail. But what happened? He, he, He stood before the judge. He stood before the jury. He stood before... He stood before people. He was being held accountable. Here's the deal. We're going to be held accountable one day. We might as well bow the knee now. Peter said it. Judgment must begin first at the house of God. Just bow the knee. Go ahead and say, Lord, here I am. Where can I change? How can I please you? I want to live a holy life under you, Lord Jesus. And watch what God does now. Live with dignity. The dignity of knowing what I'm doing is significant. It matters. And as you do that, I'm telling you, God will open up doors and and show you your destiny. And you can walk in it and fulfill it without having to have the crisis slap you upside the head and and get you into the position. Don't wait for the crisis. Bow the knee now. Can I pastor for a moment? I'm trying to move into Revelation. But as a pastor, it's it's so frustrating. We we will... we will wait for the crisis to humble ourselves. But do you know a crisis doesn't humble you? 
Only you can humble you. There have been times when I had crisis and I didn't humble myself. I shook my fist at the sky in anger and defied God. Was not humbled by the crisis. The only one who can humble me is me. Even God cannot humble me. And he can't humble you. You're like, that's outrageous. How can you say this? It happens every day. People can lose everything and shake their fist at the sky. You have to humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due season. You have to humble yourself. We humble ourselves before the Lord. So here are these people. These are tribulation saints, man. And they were, they were patient. They were faithful to the commands of the Lord. And the Lord said, I've been watching you. When I get to heaven, I want him to look at me and say, well done, right? Good and faithful servant. And look at verse 14. 14 through 16, then I looked and behold a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who said on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. Now, this, it's hard to see this first person mentioned here as anyone other than Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the white, the cloud, the, 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 the crown. And then you have this um, almost immediately an angel joining with him. And we've seen this in the past throughout the Old Testament. We went all the way through Genesis and we saw where the Lord partnered with His holy angels on a regular basis. So here we are in Revelation. Again, we see the Lord partnering with His holy angels. And He's wearing a golden crown. I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote of this particular passage. Listen to this. How different it will be to see Him with a crown of gold upon His head from what it was to see Him wearing that terrible crown of thorns which the cruel soldiers platted and thrust upon His brow. The word used here does not usually refer to the diadem of power, but to the crown won in conflict, the Stephanos crown. We've talked about that. And it is very remarkable that it should be said that when Christ comes to judge the world, He will wear the garland of victory, the crown which He has won in the great battle which He has fought. How significant of His final triumph will that crown of gold be about those brows that were once covered with bloody sweat when he was fighting the battle for our salvation. So the same brow that bore the crown of thorns will now wear the Stephanos crown of gold, of victory. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. The ancient Greek word for ripe is a negative sense, meaning it's to become dry or withered. It's, it's that of overripe. How many of you buy bananas at the grocery store? And they're like awesome. Well, they're too green. You buy them, they're too green. They sit in your little basket, and you're like, well, they're just too green right now. And so they start turning yellow, and the next thing, they're black. And you're like, how did this happen? What? what? 
you know. And I've heard all kind of tricks. Don't leave them in the bunch, you know. Don't take that little plastic thing off. And, but like they're they're like green, 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 yellow, uh, little splotches, black. And like, oh man, blew it again, right? Well, <clears throat> this is speaking of over ripened fruit. This means that God will judge the earth only when it is overripe for judgment, which is really good news because He does not rush to judgment. Remember Lamentations 3, 20 through 22? <clears throat> through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. And the indication here is, we are not consumed. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my po- portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. Through, through the Lord's mercies, it is only through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. He is long-suffering and waits with great patience, with long-suffering for the harvest of the earth. And that's not just the harvest in the sense of His coming back but in this pronouncing of judgment. Had it not been for the Lord's reluctance to judge, who could stand before Him? Right? In other words, when you were born, let's just say you were perfect, Chance. I mean, Bridget says you are. When you were born, you were perfect. But then somewhere down the line, something went awry. And Chance got off track. And what if at that point, like, you know, the old timers used to call it the age of accountability. Like, you hit that age of accountability, and you cross the line. And at that point, God said, okay, done with you. Boom. Greasy spot on the road. There is no more Chance Modicek. He's gone, Right? Think about you and me, every single one of us. We reach that age of accountability, we get off track. No, here's the deal. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. We're not wiped out when we deserve to be. Had it not been for His reluctance to judge, nobody could stand. Revelation six 17, we've gone through this, says He always gives a space of grace. And after that, judgment. One of the six fundamentals of the faith, let me remind you, we've looked at it, we're not going there tonight, but Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says one of the six fundamental elementary truths of the faith is eternal judgment. I love what Joseph Seiss says about this passage. It must be remembered that evil has its harvest as well as good. There is a harvest of misery and woe a harvest for the gathering, binding, and burning of the tares, as well as for the gathering of the wheat into the garner of heaven. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now look with me to verses 17 through 20. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting as we plow and plod along through the book of Revelation? Verses 17 through 20. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, 
Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the earth. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Now, John Wolford says this seems to indicate that this angel is acting in response to the prayers of the saints. We've seen this before, who are asking for divine judgment on the wickedness. And this passage is the inspiration for Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. Or the glory of the coming of the Lord, right? That's it, yeah. His truth is marching on. He's trampling out the vineyard where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Wolford says the phrase fully ripe pictures grapes fully grown in the prime almost bursting with juice and the spurting of the grape juice from under the bare feet of those treading the grapes in the wine press is compared to to that of blood in what is an awful carnage that is sure to take place. We're going to talk about this. This is speaking of what we know as the battle of Armageddon. We're going to spend some time there. So when God starts pouring out judgment, The idea is this, who can withstand his judgment? When Valerie and I were in Israel, we we saw in Nazareth an ancient wine press from the time of Jesus, the only one in that area that, that dates back to the time of Jesus. And the way they would work the wine press is they would they would have this big uh kind of pit. And they would throw all the grapes from the vineyards into this pit. And it was a big festival. And they would stomp on the grapes. Some of y'all remember the Lucy show. I know what you're thinking of. You remember the Lucy show, right, James? Yeah. And they would take their shoes off and they would stomp on the grapes. And, And what would happen is they didn't want to crush the seeds. They just wanted to crush the grape. If they had shoes on, they could, they could crush the seed, which would put a bitterness into the juice. And so they would use their bare feet and just crush the grape enough, but not crush the seed. And as the juice began to pile up, it would run, because of gravity, it would run down a trough, and they would collect it. And it was a big, big deal to collect the, the, the wine, the juice, from the trampling of the grapes. And so here you have... A picture of God's judgment being seen as God being in a wine press and those being judged are like grapes. Who can withstand when he goes to trampling, right? Can a grape withstand a man? And can humans withstand God? That's the idea in this passage and and the idea is absolutely not, not at all. And so, what strength, Sice then says, have grapes against the weight and power of the man when he comes to set his feet upon them? And the riper they are, the more helpless. 
the heel of omnipotence, he says, is upon them and they can only break and sink beneath it. This is the idea of when God begins to judge. I'm on the first train out of here. Hopefully, we're looking from the mezzanine when this is all going on. It says, blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Let's talk about that. This is describing probably blood splattering up to the horse's bridles. Uh, So tremendous carnage in the battle of Armageddon described, as we'll see in Revelation 16, 16, and 19, 11 through 19. I don't think this is a description of a river of blood running the length of the promised land up to the horse's bridles. I think this is the splattering of the blood. There's a lot of blood, don't get me wrong. But I think this is more the splattering that's taking place. Now, it's interesting to note, (coughs) does anybody know how long a furlong is? Huh? I'd have to do the math on that. I have the footage. It's 660 feet. 600. Well, Ron, have you played the ponies before? I'm Because really, I'm sorry, that's a personal question. You don't have to answer that in the church. But the furlong, you know, that's what they use at the racetrack. It's the furlongs. It's 660 feet. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> It's 660 feet. But in ancient times, listen to this. This is a prophetic book. John is writing this, getting this from the Lord Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos. Jason, don't leave. I'm sorry I said that to your father. He's he's out of here. He's done. He's so checked out right now. I'm so sorry, man. Denise, please don't leave too. I'm so sorry. Jared, oh, man. I'm (laughs) sorry. The whole family. So John's writing from the island of Patmos. He's writing, you know, as the Lord is showing him stuff. And and, and the, the bottom line is this. At the time he's writing this, a battle area extending for 1,600 furlongs or about 176 miles or so was well beyond any normal sense of a battle front or, or a battle line, a, a, a battle taking place, a 200-mile battle. So it's, it's really pointing to something that John could not comprehend. 1,600 furlongs, 200 miles of carnage, blood up to the horse's bridles. One writer says the area covered in the battle that's described in the book of Revelation is approximately 200 miles and specifies that it's an area within a 200-mile radius from Jerusalem. And it's going to take place at the, the time of this coming of Christ in judgment. It's pretty much from the northern part of Israel, from around Haifa, all the way down towards Petra in Jordan. So basically, the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Megiddo, where we know, again, this is going to be the battle of Armageddon being fought. So what's amazing about this, and and this is going to unfold quickly as we dive more deeply into the book of Revelation, 
<coughs> we're going to see the victory that Christ wins. But Revelation 14 is the perfect answer to Revelation 13. Because if you'll remember and recall, at the end of Revelation 13, it almost seemed like Satan and the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, they, they were going to win and prevail. We saw the wording there. They prevailed over the saints. But Revelation 14 shows us who really, in the end, is more powerful, who triumphs, and who ultimately is in control. It's the Lord and His Messiah and His people, not Satan and His Messiah, the Antichrist and His people. And again, this is all summed up in Psalm 2. And I do want to revisit this at this time with what we've just heard. Listen to this, Psalm 2, 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, His Christ, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, Mount Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. We've heard that before, right? And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the S-O-N, capital. Kiss the Son, the Son of God, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled. But a little blessed are those who put their trust in Him. I'm telling you, God wins, always has, always will. No matter what it's looking like, He wins in the end. I want to be on His side, don't you? And if we're on his side, he's on our side. And if God is for us, who then can be against us? Nobody. Nobody can stand against him. And let me just encourage you from the book of Revelation. No matter what you're going through, your situation may look hopeless. You may be facing dire consequences to things that have taken place. But I'm telling you, if you'll put the Lord first... God knows how to take those messes and turn them into some kind of message for His glory and grace. He knows how to take those tests and those testing times and turn them around for a testimony to His glory and His grace. If you'll put your trust in Him and fear God and give Him all the glory, watch Him move heaven and earth on your behalf and break those chains and remove that darkness and bring about a bright and glorious day Come on, give him some praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Now, chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So Revelation 14 seems... To describe the consummation of all things, ending with the fury of the battle of Armageddon, even though without all the details. But now John goes back and begins to give some detail to the judgment of God. 
the idea of stating and restating in more detail is common with prophecy in Hebrew literature in particular. And John is, you know, a Jew, and he's writing from a Hebrew perspective. He was trained by a rabbi, and rabbis talking to him. And he speaks of the 144,000. He speaks of the, the 12 tribes. So there's definitely that very Jewishness interwoven into the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, over 800 allusions to the Old Testament. So it's just, just so fundamental that we understand the Hebrew perspective on all this. How about that? I used Hebrew perspectives, Ben. <clears throat> so, and, and I offended Ben, and now he's walking out that I've said Hebrew perspectives. I'm sorry. I love Roy. I love Hebrew perspectives. That's his father's ministry, so that's the name of it, Hebrew perspectives. Uh. For, for instance, in Genesis 1, we have the accounting of revelation, uh, of creation, I mean, in Genesis 1. And then in, in Genesis 2, it, the, the story's told all over again with some different details filled in. So this idea of telling and retelling with more detail, very common in, in Hebrew writing. <clears throat> One writer said, as is the plan of the prophet, he reviews... He recapitulates, he enlarges upon the scene he has already sketched. Now, <clears throat> remember, we already saw what happened, um, or what, you know, in Revelation 6, 12 through 17. It looked like the end of everything back in Revelation 6. Uh, verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. Behold, there was a great earthquake, the sun became black. The moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs and it's and, and shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll. It's rolled up. Every mountain and island were moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and rocks and holes in the mountains and, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, uh, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? So, so this seemed like the end of everything. But then John took us over the same material in greater detail again. So it reminds us the revelation is not strictly in chronological order. That's the point. It's not strictly in chronological order. It's a little confusing at times. That's an understatement. And you get up here and try to teach it, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. The idea of seven last plagues. Seven last plagues. He's, that's what he says here. The, 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 the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. It's, it's really, it's, it sounds like what we see in Leviticus 26, 21 where God said, Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. Similar wording there. Possibly significant, the last seven plagues here are, are God's judgment on disobedient folk, rebellious folk. And uh, the ancient word for wrath is thymos. I mentioned this. It's, it's mentioned in uh, Revelation 14.10. There are two words for wrath or anger in biblical Greek, thymos, which is a volatile, volatile, passionate anger, and orge, anger from a settled disposition. And, and this is... This is that thymos, that 
God flashing hot here. Orge is the more common word for God's anger in the New Testament. Thymos is used only 11 times. Ten of them are in Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, we see the judgment of God flashing against a Jesus-rejecting world. And it says that His wrath is complete. Complete. The word complete in the ancient means to reach an end or an aim. So the hot wrath of God will fulfill an eternal purpose. He's not just blowing off steam. It's, it's fulfilling something. It's, there's a means to the end and an end to the means. Verses 2 through 4. Are, are you with me? Isn't this exciting? And I saw something like a sea of glass. And so here, here I've got to preach about this, right? I've got to teach about this. And all we get is I saw something like a sea of glass, right? And thanks for the detail. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass. That's significant. Having harps. We know those are giant Les Pauls, man, of God. Les Pauls of God right there. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And these are combined into one saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. So these are those who have victory over the beast. They're victorious over the beast through their faithfulness even unto death. So these are tribulation martyrs described in Revelation 7, 9 through 17. They are not those who survive the tribulation. It, again, the, chronologi- the chronological order is, is not there in Revelation. You have to discern it and work through it. But we see here the, the bowl. We're in the middle of the tribulation here and towards the end of it, but the bowls of judgment are still waiting to be poured out. So these are those who have already died during the tribulation. Therefore, even though the Antichrist has killed them, it says they have victory over the beast. They're not losers because even in death they have won the victory. And the early church constantly described martyrdom as a day of victory for the one who passes on. Now they're standing on the sea, this, this something that's like a sea of glass. The ancient Greek here can mean they're standing on or over or beside. And, and, and the architecture of heaven seems to be that of the sea of glass being a physical representation of the word of God. Because we have this whole idea of a heavenly tabernacle, which we're going to get into. It's going to be next week. But this heavenly tabernacle, which includes in the tabernacle plan, in the tabernacle layout, a laver for the washing of uh, the priest before they go into their ceremonial duties. That laver of water. And... Ephesians 5.26 alludes to this in that we are washed uh, with the washing of water by the word. So I would say there's an illusion here in Revelation that these 
have overcome who were standing in heaven as they were on earth on the word of God. They're standing on the word. We used to sing that song. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, right standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Does anybody know that? Got a few? Standing on the promises. And so it's it's uh, they seem to be standing on the word, washed by the the water of the word. John 15, 1 through 3, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he says, you're clean through the word that I have spoken to you. There's a cleansing that comes from the word. There's a washing that comes from the word. When, when you get it, this, this is not a book that I preach out of. This is a book we learn to live out of. It better be a book I preach out of. But it better be a book that we get into and learn how to feast on it, eat on it, learn how to live, apply it, walk in it. Reveal this truth to me, O Lord. And so they're standing on the word of God. As they stood on the earth, so they stand in heaven on the word of God. And they have these harps, which we know are guitars. And uh, they, are, they are worshiping God. Now they sing this song of Moses and the Lamb. Stand with me right now. They sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. It's one song, but it's called the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. We have the song of Moses back in the Old Testament. So we have the song of Moses combined with the song of the Lamb. Here, the, the two titles <coughs> refer to this one song that we see. And it's this, I guess there's no other way to put it than it's a union of Old Covenant and New Covenant saints. The Old Covenant saints were not saved, y'all. They were not saved by the law. They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. They never kept the law. They were supposed to give the land a rest every seven years. And we have no record that they ever did that. There was no Sabbath. They never gave the land a rest. They just kept farming that land all the time. All that time. They, that's just one thing they broke. They broke the law all the time. Nobody ever kept the law. They weren't saved by the law. They were saved by the blood of the Lamb the same way we are. They were just looking forward to the cross. And these tribulation saints, like us, are looking back to the cross. And what, what's Adam sing? And what is the last saint on the face of the earth going to sing? The same song. Worthy is the Lamb. It's a song only those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb can sing. The angels desire to look into it can't sing this song. They're not qualified to sing this song. Only those of us saved by grace can say worthy is the Lamb to receive all glory and power. And it's so powerful. They're pointing back. And the old covenant saints were pointing forward. And it's so deeply rooted in Old Testament and in praise to God, it speaks of God's great and marvelous works. It speaks of His just and true ways. It speaks of His holiness. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. In other words, you alone are devoted to keeping the words of the covenant. 
and it's just devoted to worship. All nations, every tribe, nation, tongue shall come to worship before you. And with these saints, and this is where I'm closing, this is so powerful. It's constant. It's you, your, you, your, you, your. Speaking of God, speaking of the Lamb, these martyrs are focused exclusively on the glory of the Lamb and the glory of God. We don't even know their stories. The church loves to venerate saints, right? We love those martyr stories. Tell me that martyr story. And, and, and some churches will build a statue and have an icon and, 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 and uh, appeal to the superfluous good of this saint to maybe account for me and give me some of the good that he's got, some of his leftover good. Let him pray on my behalf. But these saints, we don't even know their martyr stories. They're not recorded. They just died. We don't know anything about them. And they're not trying to tell us, well, let me tell you how I was, you know, I'm a saw and a sunder. Then they came after my family. and they threatened. None of that. It's all worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. As they lived on earth, now we see them in heaven. And so much can be learned by us as well, right? It's not so much about how I've overcome my struggles and all this stuff. It's about, let me tell you about Jesus. It's only because of him that I'm anywhere, that I've gotten anything, that I've come this far. It's not me at all. It's all about him. You, your, him, to God be the glory. Come on, give him praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God that found you? Folks, this is real. I want to remind you, it's real. These stories are real. Just as sure as the cross would come to pass and has come to pass. And the empty tomb came to pass. So these stories are going to come to pass as well. One day, we'll stand before him. Can you just close your eyes and lift your hands to him right now? Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your reckless abandonment of heaven to reach out to sinners like us and to redeem us. Hallelujah. We love to celebrate your love. We love to sing of your reckless love, Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.